0: Alright, hello everybody. Uh, this is Jake, the producer here, and this is a first for the Cinebums because I am hosting. I took the reins of hosting this week to do a very special episode about uh, Crimes of the Future, the new David Cronenberg, which was probably my most anticipated movie of, of the year. I'm a diehard fan of the man's work and his sort of sensibilities with horror and... I had to bring on one of my favorite uh, friends to talk about horror with. Um, his name's Lucas Neighbor. Thank you for coming on, man.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and I was, I was watching this movie, and I couldn't help but think that it's just incredibly. I don't mean I don't want to get into it right away, but it felt like something that you would have a lot of layers to dissect about it, and. I don't know. It felt, it felt fit in for you to come on for this one.
1: Yeah. Hopefully I uh, live up to the standards of the podcast. I don't know. Um, (laughs) definitely a fascinating movie though. I feel like it, it really combines, you know, early period Cronenberg with late period Cronenberg in a way that we haven't gotten as much of as you would think.
0: Yeah. I noticed when I watched history of violence, uh, for the first time a few months ago, or I think a few weeks ago, who knows, There was a definite just shift of genre. So like exactly what you're talking about. Like, I think the last time he dipped in this sort of weird sci-fi horror conglomeration was like existence, um, which was like 1999. So he's like, it's like 20 plus years and it was so refreshing to see.
1: Yeah. I haven't. uh, Existence is one that's, you know, a blind spot for me. (laughs) It's fucking crazy. um, It's interesting. Like, revisiting his stuff i found myself more into his later period stuff than his early period stuff which i wouldn't have expected really? you know with videodrome and the fly and stuff like yeah i don't know it feels like he found sort of his footing almost um we could talk about it more later on though of course right
0: right but i, I it does pertain though to crimes because i think i think it's an amalgamation of every every theme he's sort of dealt with I don't know. It felt like a kaleidoscope of a lot of his of his interests to me, and I kind of agree though. Like Cosmopolis, uh, Eastern Promises, they're just super intriguing to me. I feel like he's is pulled back a layer on Cronenberg's brain that we hadn't seen before, you know. So, so yeah, I can't yeah. wait to talk about yeah. Like I have a lot of my top five. We're gonna talk about top five Cronenbergs uh, after Crimes of the Future, um, and a lot of mine are the post uh 2000s that we were talking about so that'll be very interesting to, to to dissect um but yeah crimes uh was a script he wrote i think like 20 years ago and obviously had a lot of trouble funding it because it's way out there and I'm, i don't i don't know like the, i feel like the early 2000s is not like a prime time to produce a movie like this and he said that a lot of like thematically, things started to come up, like climate change and this progressivism, and like sexual orientation started to change. He's like, "Oh shit, this might be more relevant than ever." So, we got the movie, and I love it so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Um, it really I, wanted is. To, I wanted to ask, did you see the original Crimes of the Future? The one that this was it like a student film that he made.
0: The '70s movie has nothing if not little to do with uh, the remake, or not the remake, the, the newest version. So I skipped it. Did you watch it yet?
1: No, I haven't seen it. I was curious if it's like the same plot or not. Um, I don't think so. Is, yeah, that would make sense because it is like a, a very prescient plot. Um, it's interesting. Like, you know, this is something that, like I was saying that I found the later period Cronenberg more interesting to me than the early period. And mm-hmm. um, something that came up in Crimes of the Future that I thought was interesting relating to, like, the earlier period is kind of this use of, like, the main metaphor of the movie um, as, like, a catch-all, almost, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, totally. I did you want to recap, like, the plot a little bit, maybe?
0: <laughs> Could you do that for me since you saw it, like, <laughs> two hours ago for the second time?
1: So... That'd be amazing. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. I need to... Um, <laughs> I need to look up some character names. I, I'm blanking on the character names as we speak.
0: Vigo's name was um, Saul Tensor, I believe.
1: That's right. Saul Tensor and then Caprice.
0: Yeah, Leia seduce Caprice and Kristen is Timlin.
1: Yeah. Scott I Speedman can't remember. is Lang. Lang. Okay. So... <laughs> The movie kind of revolves around uh, Saul Tensor, played by Viggo Mortensen, who uh, grows organs that uh, are inadvertent, that appear to be like tumorous growths. And um, his partner, played by Leah Sido Caprice, um, is the one who does like the surgical process and she tattoos right. the organs and the two of them make kind of a show out of the whole thing. And um, the, the plot of the movie, it's kind of an aimless movie, but it revolves around them being investigated by this organ registry and uh, basically becoming the subject of interest of uh, an increasing, like, group of characters, including uh, the character named Timlin, who works at the registry, played by Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of it in terms of the plot, in terms yeah. of avoiding, like, the, the machinations of it yeah um a very like i don't know what the it's a very like i said before aimless kind of plot you know yeah
0: a really loose structure for sure not a traditional structure i should say
1: it was interesting in that um it's almost kind of like this like behind the scenes look at at these two performers lives and much more of like a character drama than you know like the body horror that i think we were kind of sold um, yeah, yeah. It's also much more aesthetically based than I was expecting. No, well, not expecting. I think it was more just a highlight of um, how much Cronenberg focuses on like the imagery of it, and how much mm-hmm. the imagery, you know, translates to his motifs.
0: Yeah. No, totally. Um, Vigo's uh, his condition. I actually wrote it down. It's called accelerated evolution syndrome. So essentially, he could he could rebirth or reincarnate whatever his organs that are eliminated. And I think that's his, I don't know if it was hereditary or if he was born with it, but that's like his, basically his conceit for why he's doing that. Um, And yeah, basically just develops new vestigial organs. And like one of the most striking images in the film for me is like when he eats breakfast and, there's that chair he, he uses that's basically designed to inflict pain in the, in the case of the movie Pleasure. Um, so basically he can enjoy his breakfast and that image right away kind of it kind of just brought a lot of the missing pieces for me. And like in t- within 10 minutes of the movie of like what this movie is about and what what is he trying to say about pleasure and, you know, the whole notion of surgery is the new sex. Um, And like you said, like it's kind of it's more a character piece and like there are machinations kind of like in a noir sense, if that makes sense, like a lot of it's a lot of it's revolving around like drug trade, but instead of drugs, it's like the plastic and the, the organs and all that stuff. It's hard to like concisely talk about this movie in kind of like a non intellectual way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, there's a lot in what you just said, like, in the way that it's kind of hard to track, like, where the movie's going and what all the different pieces, like, all come together as it it reminded me of, like, Videodrome in that sense, like, yeah. it becomes less about, like, the tangible structure of the plot and more about, like, what's occurring from scene to scene, like, the longer it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to say to the noir thing, it's, it does have some like erotic thriller tendencies to it. Yeah, like, yeah. it's very much like a, there's like a little bit of a weird kind of love triangle thing going on.
0: Um, mm-hmm. with, uh, Timblin, Yeah. Yeah. And the two performers. Yeah.
1: Just a fascinating movie and another <laughs> great, um, contribution from Vigo, like another great, you know, collaboration. Oh my God. Them.
0: Yeah. Like. Honestly, maybe my favorite, one of my favorite director actor collaborations I've discovered this year, you know, like we'll get uh, again, we'll get to the the post 2000s Cronenbergs later, but they have such a great working relationship and like wildly different performances in all of the movies. And this one was very, I don't know, it was very subdued, obviously, but also really tender and complex and he had to do a lot vocally to kind of like portray this man with an incredibly damaged innards, you know? Um, Yeah. And I think he's just, he's just so captivating as is Leia Sadu. And they're really interesting archetypes that are hard to define for me, but like, what do you, what's your take on, on Kirsten Stewart? Cause like, I think she's a very, performance aside like what do you think she represents in the grand scheme of this movie
1: i think you know this might be too transparent or like too one-dimensional but um Mm -hmm. she's kind of like almost like a stand-in for um i don't know what the right word is like i don't want to be too broad but like just a specific type of person who is latching on to something because it's the new thing and because they want the excitement of the new thing not you know because they understand the new thing sort of Mm -hmm. um and I guess in that way like if you want to be broad about it uh she's like kind of a a naive portrayal of um just like the average person where it's like she's the side of you that wants to just you know see the benefits of a new thing it doesn't doesn't see where it's coming from I guess I don't Mm -hmm. know what did you make of her
0: Kind of exactly what you said, I think, and I hate to use this sort of allegory, but it felt like Cronenberg saw a cell phone-obsessed society and was kind of like, oh, people latch on to ideas and uh, ideologies that aren't necessarily, like, fully formed yet, and that's that's kind of evident, and you see, like, their their process to do this performance art is, like, you know, obviously very... <laughs> very loose and unhinged and she kind of latches onto it. Cause it's like, in a in a world that's destroyed by, by climate change and everything surrounding it. Like that's a one, that's like the one pleasure that people are getting is, is this sort of this inflicted pain, this self-inflicted pain. And I think her latching onto that is kind of, I think you can interpret it in just a lot of the ways that Cronenberg views just societal latching for lack of a better term on just, so many different things and that that's for me i don't think it's as as transparent as that but uh i don't know that's why i was asking because like she was kind of asking a lot about her character rather than many other things about the movie and but i loved her performance a lot like i thought she was incredible
1: she's kind of an odd fit um because in a lot of ways like it is this movie where it's like a movie of mismatched parts where it's almost like disarming how genuine the dynamic I, I, genuine might not be the right word but how, like, just how layered the, the relationship between, um, between the two, you know, between Vigo and Leah SeDu is in the film. Um How like tenderly that's portrayed and how intimately that's portrayed. And then these pieces, like the, um, you know, the, Scott Speedman character that you mentioned in his whole plot with his young son who eats plastic and the wife who yeah. um doesn't like that their son eats plastic <laughs> and um that and then the the Kristen Stewart performance kind of feel of a piece of each other in sort of almost like this different movie from the Vigo uh stuff with Lea do where it's right. like you know he's painting such a bleak portrait of the world and then it's just such a matter of fact like Compelling drama in the middle of it. Um, and I don't know, it definitely makes Kristen Stewart's performance stand out because she's just Mm -hmm. so much less of a human character than the others, you know? It feels like she's making more of a point. She's she's a character that's there to illustrate more of a point than she is to like inspire specific emotions.
0: Right. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've heard. that's interesting because I've heard takes about I guess, I guess humanity is a good word because a lot of people were like she felt like one of the few characters that was emoting throughout the movie, and I guess in a in a in a more traditional sense because I think the the way that Vigo's character and Leia's character express emotion is so unorthodox and she's more of a like like we said it's like timeless and very relevant like how she latches on to this idea of is the new sex and organs being like sort of this this capital basically um but yeah I, I agree though that it's kind of she's she's kind of a a thematic device rather than a character but I feel like a lot of that movie that's what a lot of the movie is because there is not a definite narrative or a definite structure I think it is just I think it's just the world and the characters period and I think it, that's. I think that's what Cronenberg excels the most at sort of like opposite something like history of violence and the fly, which I love like Videodrome and like crash and stuff like that is very, just very narratively loose and kind of free to express all of the stuff that he's interested in,
1: you know? Yeah. um, It's very, you know, this is like the typical like David Lynch descriptor thing people do, but I think in a lot of ways Cronenberg stuff is dreamlike in that it's like yeah like okay like this part doesn't really quite hitch onto this part if you think about it but like when you're watching it it's seamless you know like his stuff fits together in the way that it makes you feel and the emotions it elicits more than it does just like a to b to c to d um and i don't know it's a it's a movie that like i feel like not that much happens like plot wise from the beginning Mm -hmm. to the very end but it's just very dense the whole way through
0: yeah extremely well realized like every Cronenberg movie and has a very just central conceit of what he's trying to say if not so transparent to other people but for me it very much clicked and i think what you said is is about not a lot happens quote unquote is kind of like the the downfall for this movie on a critical sense uh like the friend i saw it with told me from like within the first 5 minutes he couldn't latch onto a thing um which for me is like it's it's all about how you perceive david cronenberg at this point like i i genuinely think you've had to have seen at least five or six to fully grasp what he's going for in this movie i don't know maybe that's just me and because i'm just i've seen like 20 of his movies so i think i just have been too deep <clears throat> and I'm i'm just here for everything he has to say and everything he has to do so i don't know
1: well it's funny um I get what your friend is talking about, like but not being able to latch on, because um, you know, it's a movie that for me my enjoyment of it is more like detached than yes, you know, for example, like when I first saw The Fly or Videodrome, like those are movies that it's like you could put them on with a crowd of people and you're gonna be wrapped up in it. Like some people are gonna be laughing, some people are gonna be totally freaked out but you're all gonna have like a very strong emotional reaction to it
0: oh yeah and
1: um I don't know I feel like the more Cronenberg you watch the less visceral the reaction is to it and the more it's like oh okay like I kind of see what he's doing with this and I kind of see what he's doing with that and so it's almost like more of a an appreciation for me than it is like uh it doesn't push the same buttons not in a not in a bad way, just more in like a – and this is kind of what I was talking about with like later period Cronenberg versus early period. Um, the fact that it's shocking is expected instead of just shocking, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is what I think a lot of people – I think he has a reputation, especially, again, for people who has, haven't delved into his work, that he he is this goraphobic phobic body body-horror-obsessed filmmaker – um, and even the fly and Videodrome are very introspective movies. They're not necessarily like there is body horror elements, but there's so much intent and there's so much, like you said, emotionality behind that. Like Videodrome, especially is, feels very urgent. He kind of like a brain dump sort of movie. Um, but yeah, I think expectation versus like an emotional reaction is very important, important with this movie. Um, and, like, the last thing I want to bring up is, is what I think the, the deepest and the most drawn-out conversations I've had about this movie is the very end, like the last shot where I, you can't really spoil this movie, but in case people don't want to know, the, the very last shot is where Vigo eats one of the plastic bars, and he has, like, a very, in my opinion, a very euphoric look in his eyes. And I've had, I'm having struggle, like, having a concrete interpretation. So,
1: so please, if you have one, I would love to know. You know, concrete's like obviously a hard thing to talk about, but um, right, right. I think it's sort of what he's been talking about, like ever since, even in Videodrome, you have that same, the same motif, I think, where it's like accepting change, even when it's horrifying to you. So it's like, it's about, you know, I'm, he, he eats the plastic because he's accepted, like, this is my body and it wants me to be like this and I can't change it. Even if I'm being told that it's a bad thing. And it's like, even if you can't get yourself to believe that sometimes like you can't physically deny it anymore. And I think that that's sort of what he's realizing. It's like the catharsis of all those emotions at the end. Right. Since we were talking spoilers like this, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of my interpretation was that like, like the boy who's eating the plastic at the beginning He's got like a complete set of new organs that enable him to eat like processed materials. Yeah. And I was under the impression that the movie is about like Vigo's body is trying to grow him that same system of organs, but he continuously removes them so it's not able to complete the process.
0: Is that, yeah, is that so right? e- exactly? Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't know if it was that that's interesting because I didn't know if the, the, the cold opening is where the kid obviously eats the trash can which we alluded to earlier i didn't know if that was necessarily i think you're right that it is it's him developing a new set of organs but i didn't know if that was like if he was the 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 first wave of that human being i guess i don't know i was that's kind of what i was struggling with but um
1: so um, i don't know about the timeline either but um I thought it kind of uh, was supposed to be a comment on like climate change you know like this idea that we have now polluted the earth or rely so much on processed materials that like our bodies are regurgitating like so that's kind of where I got that
0: from. Yeah. No yeah totally right. I just I was unsure if like again he inherited from his parents because like their reactions were both so polar opposite of each other so I just.
1: Oh, it was... it had to have come from his dad because his dad's eating like the chocolate butter, right, right, exactly. Okay, so I was... yeah, so I think that's the proof that they're genetically passing it on, maybe, mm-hmm. right? I guess that would be I don't, what know. It is.
0: I don't know. I that's the, the this the, the way the movie book ends is what bewilders me the most, but that's why I was kinda asking you because having a second watch and a second a new perspective on things is always good, but uh
1: yeah, it's funny. I um feel like i was still wrapping my head around like even just what the movie was because to be honest i kind of went into it like expecting body horror and stuff coming off like scanners
0: (laughs) yeah scanners is like one of uh kind of the birth of his obsession with body horror i would say like that in the brood and that's like
1: shocked it um, scanners, so many shootouts, like so many just yeah. drive-by shootings in that movie. <laughs> it's
0: essentially an action movie. When I was kind of shocked. Yeah, like, there's a lot. <laughs> there's so many. Um, but the last scene is is just incredible. Um, oh yeah, of course, so good. Welcome back, everybody for the David Cronenberg centric episode and as promised now we're going to do our top 5 favorite all time David Cronenberg movies um Lucas if you'd like to go first with uh, your number 5 and we'll just i guess ping pong back and forth
1: yeah so my number 5 is a history of violence i don't know if that's higher on your list or not it's my number 3 okay we can wait to talk about it then if you want to go No to let's, let's do it now let's do it now okay Okay, um so I don't know. It's based on a graphic novel, is that correct?
0: You know, I think I, I might have been mis, misinformed when I said that because I think we were talking about it. I feel
1: like yeah, I, you I, might have been the one that told me that. That's right. <laughs> I think this. I was
0: misled because the script feels so inherently like a graphic novel. But I looked. Well, at the, I thought at the writer's credits. He. He's like, he writes for a lot of superhero properties. So I'm like, I assumed it was a graphic novel, but I think it just might be an original screenplay. So, okay,
1: cool. cool my cool. fault,
0: my fault on that one.
1: No. So I thought the same thing about Eastern Promises. I thought they were both graphic novels and I guess neither of them is.
0: Let me, let me fact check Eastern Promises, but uh, well, go.
1: Stephen Knight wrote that. Yeah, so I was going to
0: say, but that could be an adaptation.
1: I don't um, think so. Um, But anyways, So, A History of Violence, um, you know, yet another contribution with Vigo, another sort of entry into the late period Cronenberg, you know, a lot less, like, action-y, a lot less body horror, but um, Mm -hmm. a really interesting, like, kind of thriller, I guess I would say. Like, I just found myself, you know, this is something I was going to say when we were talking about uh, Crimes of the Future He's not necessarily like into the body horror insofar as like making stuff just for the body yeah. horror anymore. It's more like whatever he makes, he goes as hard into it as he can. And um, in a history of violence, like the family dynamic is what really stood out to me. Like you have yeah. this great like really showy, really dramatic vigo performance um and then kind of like a very angsty teen performance Uh, I don't know the actor's name uh from his teenage son yeah you you also like this movie you said it's your three so what were you going to say about it yeah my number three um as I preach that I'm such a Cronenberg fan
0: this I I haven't seen I I saw this for the first time semi-recently so um yeah I think I think Enraptured is the best way I could describe this movie Um, in such simplistic terms because it is such like an all-american family and kind of the juxtaposition against a very violent uh, antagonist group of antagonists basically and it's kind of one of those movies that just kind of it's a snowball effect like it's one moment that sort of just propels into just an insanely violent and erotic and crazy crazy character journey basically um, I think mainly I, I'm maybe would wager that it's his most accessible film aside from the fly, because that was a movie that my dad had recommended to me for ever. So I think like super palatable for a lot of people, but also so structurally interesting and character, character wise is super intriguing. So I think, I think of what we were talking about that phase of like post the post uh, body horror stuff, I think that might be. His magnum opus um but uh but yeah i i love that movie so much
1: yeah it's a great one a great maria bello performance um fantastic yeah it is too uh just like you said like definitely his most one of his most accessible movies um and just a great demonstration of how like he can do like he could just be making straight like character dramas if he wanted to. You know, like he yeah. could just be making like crowd pleasing kind of exactly like history of violence. Um but yeah. Did you want to do your 5? Sure. Yeah, the, I mean
0: um this kind of goes along the same lines as that in in terms of the period it came out, but uh Cosmopolis is my number 5 um based on the don De 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 Delillo,
1: maybe? I don't know.
0: um, The essayist and and novelist, um, who I'm not familiar with, but I I love Cosmopolis. Uh, I think the closest thing he's ever gotten to a satire, if you want to call it that, I feel like that's such a base way of looking at the movie. But I think post... uh, I think actually always he's been obsessed with um American capitalism specifically which is interesting because he's Canadian um but I think he's so perplexed by the American financial institution and how like certain patterns in the way our market works is just so absurd and that's how I perceive that movie I realize I I feel like (laughs) to fully grasp that film I think you really have to be uh familiar with the the author's work more so In terms of the movie, I think it's incredibly smart and hilarious. Like we were saying with Crimes of the Future, like super loose in structure. You basically, you follow Rob Pattinson in this limo as he's attempting to get a haircut. And he basically runs into a lot of old colleagues and just, um, I guess, representations of, of people from his past that all kind of represent people he's fucked over. Um, Cause he's like a venture capitalist, like a crazy mogul. And at the same time, there's like a, a, a huge uprising against basically capitalism. It's so broad and so dense, but to me, I think it might be his, one of his most ambitious movies. So I, I can't, I, I think that movie's endlessly fascinated. Robert Pattinson's incredible in it. Paul Giamatti in a surprise performance. And yeah. I mean, have you seen that movie? I should ask.
1: Yeah. That was going to be my four actually. So it works out perfectly. Amazing. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an amazing movie. I also am not familiar with the Don DeLillo novel. So maybe we're just completely talking out of our asses here.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say that it it might be higher on my list if I knew more about the source material, because just like this Mm -hmm. incredible Robert Pattinson performance, um, as you said, kind of just like driving the limo around, um, I don't think you mentioned though, like as sort of as he loses his fortune, it's like, he's made a series of bad investments. And now like, as he's driving around in his limo, he's hearing every single one of them sort of come back to haunt him as like his whole thing comes collapsing. down, And then, you know, the protesters like pying him in the face and throwing (laughs) stuff at his car. Um, Just a great movie. Um, Again, it's, it's funny. Like part of the appeal with Cronenberg is like, every single one of his movies it's funny i'm realizing as we're talking about it like it's kind of what jordan peele is almost going for now where like every cronenberg movie is an event in a different way like none of them you know feel the same and like just you know as i was talking about with like really going for it in uh the small town family drama of history of violence um Cosmopolis is like this very it's an adaptation of a novel as we've said and so it's a very novelistic like approach it's like lots of long conversations that don't sound like the conversations people really have Yeah. lots of like metaphors and um just abstract ideas in it and just yeah just a great movie
0: it really is and and oddly I guess not oddly but uh one of his most divisive movies I would say I think I don't know if it's hard to grasp for people, but a lot of people say it's just super self-indulgent and, and I kind of hate that term with Cronenberg because obviously everything he f- makes is fucking really self-indulgent. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my number five. And I think, um, my, those, that and history of violence are my favorite, uh, in that, in that sort of phase of Cronenberg. So there, so that was your number four Cosmopolis. yeah. Yep. Um, should I I sh- should I do mine? Because yeah, my number for four, because my number three we covered history of IRS. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, number four is the most obvious choice, but it has to be in the top five. It is the fly, um, a remake. Well, I think top five greatest remakes ever, especially in the horror genre. And uh accessibility isn't uh, uh, that's that's definitely a term i always use with this movie and like something i'll always recommend to anyone who is trying to get into the horror genre or like even the body horror genre um if if they're not familiar with it i think that's i think that's the alpha and omega of the genre of a of just a strictly body horror movie i think that's that's the peak because because of its simplicity. because jeff goldblum's character is such an everyman um just a person who let ambition get the best of him, and sort of falters in the face of nature and um evolution sort of taking its toll on mankind um and yeah i mean what's there to say it's the, the fly is like regarded as one of the greatest horror movies of all time and i feel like not including it and I'm not like calling you out or anything if you don't have it, but I feel <laughs> like how could you not include it? Cause I think that uh, it's it introduced me to my love of Cronenberg. Cause I think that was like the first or second I've ever seen from him. So, so yeah, that's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's funny too. Like when you go back through his movies, like that's another one where it really is built around just this fantastic, as you mentioned, Jeff Goldblum performance, like, yeah um oh yeah you know one that i don't have on my list because i haven't seen it but i'm very excited to get to is a uh, crash because that's the james spader one but um <laughs> even like in videodrome when it's james woods like cronenberg clearly just knows how to pick his leading men in such a way that like he's getting at something with them and you know really more than like anything else you see jeff goldblum in he really latches on to, like this part of the the whole sort of persona he has which is like jeff goldblum really wants you to like him like he really mm-hmm. wants you to get what he's saying and get what he's getting at and like understand his point and that really comes through in his performance of that movie you know it's just um i don't know you re- you really said it all like it's not a movie that i could say much about like it's a very i don't i haven't seen the original but um it Me is just either. one of the greatest greatest horror movies ever yeah
0: I mean what hasn't been said, what hasn't been said. And I think that's interesting about I think he does he is a really deliberate choice when picking like James Woods or Vigo or uh James Spader. And in the case of Goldblum, it is like deconstructing his sort of complex persona in a way. It's like really picking at his overly ambitious but also kind of vulnerable sensibilities of of just as an actor as a human being i think it's just one of the greatest if not the greatest performance in any any david Cronenberg movie and yeah that that's I'm pretty pretty much out of things to say about it but it's so <laughs> it's 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 so damn good
1: it uh, really is yeah and so, we so on my three you're we're on your number three uh yeah okay my number three is the dead zone yet another um I don't know. This one's maybe a little high on my list. I don't know. A lot of people probably don't have it in their top fives, but just a great performance from Christopher Walken. Um, is that, am I mistaken, or is that one the one, is that based on a Stephen King novel or no? Yeah,
0: it definitely yeah, is. That's,
1: that's what I thought. Um, If it wasn't, I was going to say it's the most like king of his movies, but that makes sense. Like, it's a very, I don't know, it's got that that sweeping kind of scope to it like i love the way that it it goes from being sort of like this guy who you know his romance is lost because he had the strange thing happen to him and the rumors are spreading through the small town and then it jumps into being almost like this political thriller um just a very 80s movie uh and like we were talking about with scanners like that's another movie too where it really doesn't pull its punches like other than um you know sort of the supernatural stuff in it it's not like the most body horror based movie but it, it really goes for it when when people are killed off and stuff and so yeah, yeah, I, really, yeah. I really like that one that's a fun movie yeah have you it, seen that
0: one it is it was in like full disclosure that was one that just didn't click with me as much um i think it was i was just thrown off by the the marriage of cronenberg and king i felt like I felt like he was battling against just two very audacious storytellers, you know, just kind of clashing in their sensibilities, but that might just be my hangup because I feel like Cronenberg's adaptations are usually so loose on the source material, but I don't know. Um, But I do agree. Like there's, it's a very, it spans a lot of time. And I think that comes across across really effective. Walking's great. And I remember, The political turn is very jarring but it is super like 80s and fun and like um really interesting yeah the very end is very effective i think i think the whole political assassination thing is super smartly done
1: spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) it's another um it's another one that's more accessible i think like i and i think that might be Part of what you're not responding to it is it is like an 80s blockbuster, you know, and it's very much of the sensibilities of that Mm -hmm. time, like the characters aren't super deep, like they're not super layered. And then and then I'm not sure, like you said, how much of how people interact in that movie or what he's getting across in that movie, even comes from King. So I get what you're saying, for sure. I feel like Stephen King, I haven't
0: read The Dead Zone. You might you might have more to say about that. But I feel like in 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 King fashion, I feel like I feel like you would have much more of an empathetic viewpoint towards Watkin's character. Where in, in in kind of similar Cronenberg fashion, um, he's he feels just very cold and disconnected. And I feel like that's kind of the whole tone of the movie. So I just felt like it was just an odd pairing. But um, but like Brendan, my roommate, shout out to Brendan. That's like one of his favorite Cronenbergs too. So maybe I'm just in the minority there. I don't know.
1: It's um I don't know, it's another one where like when you're talking about Cronenberg, like sometimes the appreciation is more like for the parts than the whole. And usually it should be like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, but I don't know, I just love all the parts of the dead zone. Like it's a very Mm. stitched together movie where all three of its acts are like interesting to me. But so then we're on your two.
0: Yeah. No yeah and that actually yeah my number 2 I'll get to um but yeah that actually does make me want to re watch Dead Zone. I feel like I gave it a not a fair shot. Um it's on HBO Max. Shit. I might give Free it a run. Cronenberg. I might <laughs> give it a run. Although I'm pretty sick of I've been watching his movies pretty incessantly for the past like 2 <laughs> weeks. Um uh but yeah number 2 I don't remember if you mentioned if you if you you really wanted to see this. I think you did. I don't think you have seen it, but my number two is Crash, um, sort of the quintessential Cronenberg uh, movies post Videodrome, in my opinion. I think, I think also a great companion piece to Crimes of the Future. I think it it very expertly deconstructs what kind of the relationship between between play, pain and pleasure I, i'm kind of toeing the line because like you haven't seen it right
1: no so i haven't seen i it. really
0: don't want us any plot details um i know the basics um <clears throat> so you know like J- james spader essentially gets into a bad car accident and he's disfigured and he kind of finds this secret society um of people that kind of similar to crimes of the future it's like this this sensationalizing their injuries into more of a sex thing like they use their injuries to enhance their sex lives um and again like it's like, similar to crimes of the future it's very loose in structure and narratively very loose but all i'll say is that it's his most erotic movie um and kind of what you were saying about history of violence like I could have seen him go on to make a million of these erotic thrillers which would have been amazing and (laughs) yeah I James Spader and Holly Hunter are both so incredible in it like they really understand the aesthetic and the whole uh I guess how graphic and 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 heightened the tone of the movie is I think just everything is so perfectly calibrated in that movie um for his intense and tonality of it and just how gruesome and but also erotic it is it's blending just so many different tonalities in one movie and just kind of it's so seamless in my opinion um but again uh not for if you did if you disliked crimes of the future uh anyone who's listening you will not really like crash so that's a fair warning um and the last thing I'll say is J.G. Ballard wrote this book, who's a great writer. Uh, he wrote High Rise and Empire of the Sun. He's sort of like, uh, I always describe him as like a dystopian, modern storyteller, because he kind of blends two different worlds, like this dystopian sort of drab world, and then put it into a modern setting. And I think he's one of the best at that. <clears throat> and I think Cronenberg's one of the best at that. So I think it was a great pairing and a great adaptation and you should definitely check it out soon
1: yeah i gotta watch that um i had no idea the high rise guy wrote it ben wheatley's high rise is also a really great uh yeah that's a great movie great
0: just trippy dystopian movie um
1: so we're on my two though yes your number that two. is the fly we already talked about it um <laughs> of course it's on my top five uh of course. I don't know we already said everything there is to say about it but um just something that I wanted to bring up is that like that's the only time that like he really hits like sci-fi for me yeah and I think that that's like a big part of sort of that group of directors that he gets paired with like Carpenter Romero like the horror genre movie kind of guys like That's the one movie where he intersects with them, you know, and that's kind of much more my, uh, I mean, mean, he does in other things, but, um, I don't know In the fly, it's just like, yeah, this guy makes this strange chamber and then a strange accident (laughs) happens and, um, he becomes a fly. And it's, it's not like, you know, that's a movie that weirdly has like a very rigid plot to it. Oh yeah. And, uh, I latch onto that. Um, you know, my number one is totally different from that, totally left field, but um, I don't know, there is definitely something I respond to in just Cronenberg, like, using all of his tools to just tell a very straightforward plot, like, just, this is the story, this mm-hmm. is what happens, um, and all the sci-fi event, you know, comes from the plot, as opposed to, like, being outside of that structure.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. I have nothing else to say about the fly, but yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, object- that's too
1: much fly talk.
0: <laughs> what might be his objectively his best movie. I think we have the least amount to say about it, but uh, I kind of yeah, find fair. that w- with most of like the so-called greatest movies is where I don't have a ton to say because it's just so transparently great. Um, but yeah, that's an amazing movie. Um, oh, yeah. So you're one. Yeah, before I I think we have the same number one, but I think before I I say that, I have a few honorable mentions. I'm going to talk about them really fast, but um, just because I've seen most of his movies and I feel like I'm leaving stuff out. So I just want to be fair. Um, My number six would be Crimes of the Future. Honestly, if if I were to include it, like just go back to everything we just said. It's amazing. Uh, Maps to the Stars is another one that's, borderline satirical movie it's got an incredible cast it kind of it's it's kind of a sci-fi dystopian look at los angeles and kind of the absurdities of los angeles lifestyle so i think that movie's super fun um and existence i just want to mention that because you mentioned sci-fi and that movie is essentially i think it has a lot of similarities to the matrix especially involving virtual reality and sort of that concept which in 1999 was such a hot button um, and kind of attractive source material to have and I think he was capitalizing on that and that movie is so just such a blast and so mind-bending and there's great action sequences in it and there's great body horror and it's kind of I'm kind of at a loss for words for it because i haven't seen it in a long time and it was such a a mind-bending experience but yeah existence was great um and yeah, i gotta see that one i think it's incredibly up your alley and anyone who anyone who's sort of into like 80s and 90s action and then kind of like merit that kind of blended with the Cronenberg movie it's just so fun like his total recall i guess is the best way to describe it um okay yeah that so, sounds good it's so crazy and Jude Law's amazing. Um, yeah, I think we have the same number one. I'd be shocked if we don't, but Videodrome
1: is oh number wait, one. wait, you didn't do you didn't say scanners, you didn't even mention it. That's not in my honorable mentions then. Oh wow. Wow! Shit. it'll is, be wait, is that your number
0: one? My honor-
1: no, 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 that'll have to be oh, my oh, honorable mentions. Go mention, ahead.
0: Sorry, then. yeah. Sorry, I forgot
1: um. you. <laughs> oh, you're good. No, we just we gotta talk about scanners, you know. Stephen Lack, Michael Ironside <laughs> as Daryl Revitt. That's just a great movie. It's, um, it's amazing. I was gonna say it's funny you brought up like him clashing with Stephen King in the Dead Zone, because I kind of feel like Scanners is just him making like a Stephen King movie. It's exactly like, I what like, I think. Yeah, he just wanted to make like a cool '80s Stephen King psychic movie, and that's exactly what he did. Right, that's I a should, great movie.
0: I should reiterate, I I didn't mean like their sensibilities are wrong for each other i just think it's hard for him to adapt such like a behemoth's uh work like like stephen king um, oh yeah
1: definitely you know
0: because i think they do obviously like they're both incredible horror uh uh filmmakers and writers you know so i think that's a good description though definitely like that's kind of like a stephen king movie um that wasn't written by Stephen King, if that makes sense. And
1: yeah, and it doesn't need to be top five. I just, you know, we gotta mention it on the Cronenberg that's fair. podcast. fair. No, like, that's, that's yeah. fair.
0: I can mention five more if we had more time. But on it, like, I seriously, <laughs> there's so many I love. Like, The Brood is great. Um, real quick, A Dangerous Method is so bizarre. I don't know if you oh, know. Oh, is about that the Freud movie? The Freud
1: movie. I've never um, seen that one.
0: Um, which is essentially a love triangle with Vigo uh, Keira Knightley, and uh, Michael Fassbender, and yeah, it's exactly what you think of a Freudian love triangle
1: uh, wow. thriller.
0: Um, wasn't quite my bag, but definitely intriguing.
1: Um, that's wow! Yeah, I gotta check that out. <laughs> it might
0: secretly, you might think it's a masterpiece, and I wouldn't be shocked because like a lot of people will say like, "Oh, that's like his most," that's like one of his. Masterpieces after like uh, History of Violence. I don't know. It, it didn't hit That's for so me though. Funny. It, it was just, so just, funny. It's so bizarre. He's definitely um,
1: got you know a, a through line to his work, I guess.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and then, um. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. You were going to talk
0: about Videodrome. It was that is my number one and kind of my default answer if if someone was going to ask what my favorite horror movie was it'd be like i'd probably say that or or the original halloween um everything we've been talking about is sort of leading up to this in my opinion i think what works in certain movies and what doesn't work and what does work strongly in other movies and i think this is kind of just his peak as a storyteller and the most meta of all of his movies in a way, because I think the movie in and of itself is commenting on how fucked up it is that people are so into his work. And uh and yeah, the theme it's a blatantly obvious uh movie in terms of its themes. And I think that is so like you were saying about the 1980s, I think that's such a perfect, I think that's such a perfect uh approach to that movie. And then James Woods is such a sleazy um character in that movie and yeah I would I mean it's your number one too I mean it's it's a I think it's a horror masterpiece I think it is it's so profoundly scary and so deeply unsettling with how it continues to be relevant and it continues to be as as pathetic and as and, and kind of like an oracle to see the future and how we perceive television and entertainment and well also being an incredibly entertaining movie from uh, a a filmmaking perspective and a narrative perspective like (laughs) it's incredibly entertaining but also incredibly bleak and but I can return to it anytime it's one of my favorite movies of all time
1: yeah it's um it's one of those formative kind of movies like you might you know feel differently like I felt differently about it from viewing to viewing but um there's definitely like this whole strain of horror movie that doesn't exist without Videodrome just aside sure. from everything that it has to say like as a movie um you could kind of credit all of the prestige horror that we talk about now like all these movies yeah, yeah. that end with like Oh, I'm having a conversation with myself in a room with one white <laughs> chair like it's kind of the start of that. Um, and yet at the same time like, you know, this is a movie where like James Wood grows a James Wood grows a gun <laughs> out of his arm at one point like yeah. It's um it's this movie where like everything in it is disgusting and gross and terrifying like you said, but in a way where it all fits exactly what you're expecting when you go to see a movie. It's like, he's saying yeah. like, here, this is what you want. And like, you're disgusting for wanting it, but here you go anyway. Right. And um, that's a fascinating, like, it's a fascinating thing to think about when you think about like the, the gun growing out of his arm, it's like, you know, very similar like a studio saying like, okay, well, you have this idea for a movie, like, here's all this money to make it. Like, here's all this success. Like, but what are you putting out there? Like, are you giving people a product that's actually worthwhile? It's almost like a, a, a very, like you were saying about it being so meta, like it's obviously a statement on, you know, his process of creation. And yeah, I think in some ways his willingness to be a part of that process and, you know, his feelings about that. I think he he fully sees himself as Max
0: Ren, AKA uh, James Wood is in that movie. Um, I think kind of going back to what you were saying in crimes of the future, like um, sort of willingly accepting a change to your body and a change to your psyche. And I think that movie is maybe the best translation of that in, in all of his films. Cause like the growing of the gun, the increasing amount of, of, of uh, times that his body deterior, deteriorates in the name of, of the whole long lived, the new flesh cult and this you know of course this violent obsessed society that 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 he's taken advantage of in in the name of of capital gain um to me yeah like formative like it's it it kind of sets the precedent for all of his movies going forward and what he's interested in and what he wants to deconstruct and and just me as a horror fan like it looked beyond like a normal slasher or a normal ghost movie to tell like an allegorical horror movie is the best way I could describe it. And in my opinion, compared to a lot of his movies, really s- simply and cleanly told while also being a bit of a clusterfuck of ideas. I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's just perfect. Um, in every way.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. It's um, I don't know. There's not much more you could say about it. It's one of those movies that speaks for itself and, uh, you know really everyone's seen it like and if you haven't seen it like you got to just go check it out immediately um i will say too like it really is a movie that can be viewed any way you want to because like i've seen it you know very late at night all by myself and just been terrified by it and then seeing it you know with a crowd and like yeah some of it's like very hilarious and i think intentionally so and that's always been a big part of Cronenberg is like making you laugh at things you don't want to laugh at and yeah. making you, you know, scared of things you don't want to be scared of and so on and yeah. so
0: forth. There's aspects of his descent into madness. That's genuinely hilarious. Um, like there's scenes where he is, I think there's an S and M scene with a television that's again, <laughs> is ex- yeah. extremely striking and deeply terrifying imagery but it's also so it's kind of like an absurdist moment um and i just i i always like when he gets absurdly comical um and i think a lot of that happens in crimes of the future too going back to that i think there's a lot he's carried that sense of humor throughout a lot of his <clears throat> a lot of his work so yeah that's our, our that's our number 1 man that's 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 the best cronenberg yeah objectively i mean <laughs> two out of two
1: people think so it must (laughs) be true yeah we nailed it